Every team, every topic, everywhere. This is Believe. Six seconds to go. Comes in to Tucker. Ewing sets a screen. The shot is off. Loose ball. Ewing goes up. The basket comes. Hello, and welcome everybody to another episode of Stricken Roll. I'm your host, Shwini Poo, in this episode 38. I am joined by, uh, not first-time guest, but first time in a while on this one anyway, his name is Tyrese London. You know him on Twitter as at London's Theory. Tyrese, how are you doing this Saturday morning-ish time? Manchester lost. It's a horrible day. It is not a great day, but London did lose. Take- I will take David Jagia and I will slit his throat myself. Wow. That's a lot. That's Oh my god. Yeah, he's How long? Yeah. How long? Yeah, he's pretty terrible. Um, but you know, we're not gonna talk about that. We're gonna talk about basketball. Uh, that sport with the round orange ball. Uh, before we get started, though, I do have to make a few announcements. The first being that the Strickland has an Instagram. Check that out. That is at the Strick.land on Instagram. We are posting all kinds of new content on there. The Strickland also has a YouTube channel where you may be watching this podcast. If you are and you haven't done so already, please hit like and then subscribe to the channel. That would be a huge help to us. The Strickland also has merchandise, which I'm not wearing any of today. Uh, but... If you want some of it, check it out on our website. We have t-shirts, sweatshirts, hats, mugs, even water bottles. Uh, all different kinds for for your personal liking. Uh, check that out. That is on our website. And then finally, the Strickland has a Patreon, which you can subscribe to. There are a number of different tiers. There's a $6 tier that gets you access to Pod Strickland, the podcast that I host every Friday with Prez. You also get access to the Strickland Mailbag, hosted by Andrew Steele, a.k.a. Doug, a.k.a. The Doug Bag, alongside Dallas Amico. Also, that comes out every other week. You also get access to the Strickland Discord, where the conversation never stops. There are further tiers. There's a $9 tier that gets you access to Strickland Roll, this podcast that I host, where I get to rant and rave about the Knicks even more. You also get access to wonderful premium articles by Matthew Miranda, one of the best in the business, the recap god, as we like to call him. There are further tiers. There's a $15 tier, $30 tier, $50 tier, and $100 tier. Those come with a variety of additional benefits, like listening on our pod recordings, merchandise discounts, and even potentially co-hosting a podcast alongside yours truly one day. All of this is brought to you by Bet Online, which is your number one resource for all your basketball info, stats, news, and scores. Get the latest odds and lines and the latest matchup reports for this year's NBA playoffs. Bet Online is your sports Intel headquarters this season as we have you covered for all your insider sports wagering needs. From basketball, MLB, NHL hockey, golf to UFC and boxing. The fastest and easiest way to get your betting info, including live betting options and your favorite casino and card games, available to play right from your home. Get into the action today, so head to the website or use your mobile device to join, and be sure to use our promo code BLEAV, B-L-E-A-V to receive your 50% bonus on your first deposit bet online where the game starts. And now, without further ado, no more no more capitalism on this podcast here. Um, I guess, you know, like we can start with this, uh, since this is the most current Knicks news. Uh, Julius Randle underwent arthroscopic surgery on his left ankle and is expected to be ready 
for the New York Knicks' training camp in the fall. The team announced Saturday. Um, <laughs> Adrian Roskonowski is a fucking grifter. That man, I don't know what he did for that scoop, but he did something heinous. He's CAA. I mean, That's it. Oh, yeah. It's probably something heinous still. Um, I mean, like, it helps. I'm glad he's getting surgery for it. I mean, spraining your ankle twice in a month is not good for anybody. But, like, I, it does give it some context, but you still can't, like, forget the effort. I don't think you can forget the fact that, like, he was still laboring. And if it was that bad, there is an argument that maybe he should have sat. But, like, maybe that opens up a different can of worms where you're like, um, why did you sit? I remember fucking Jeremy Lin sitting when, like, he tweaked his knee or whatever, and people gave him shit for that. So, um, it was noble. In some aspects, in other aspects, it kind of felt like it was a detriment to the team. I'm not glad he did it, but I can respect the fact that he did it. So I'm kind of just like, glad. I hope he gets better. I hope he's good come training camp and for the season start. Um, It's arthroscopic, which means that it shouldn't be too bad. It's on the lesser end of surgeries. I mean, surgery, surgery, but still on the lesser end of surgeries. Um, But yeah, like, Ultimately, there was context to his effort and stuff like that, and I do feel like he does have effort problems, but it felt like it was a bit more heightened in the playoffs, and part of that was injury, part of that was just general motor, so. Yeah, I don't really know how much the injury affects effort. Like, it can affect execution, which, okay, maybe maybe that's part of why he struggled on both ends of the floor. It can affect your literal agility and movement, which, okay, again, maybe that affected him on the floor. can affect, obviously, your explosiveness and all those type of things. I'm sorry. Like, I don't really understand everybody being like, oh, well, this adds so much context to everything. What context did it add? We knew he was injured. Like, this isn't news. This isn't something we didn't know. It's not. It's not like... This isn't like the the you know fake lebron stuff when he loses in and finals and he's like oh actually uh i broke my hand i forgot to mention that like this isn't that okay this is an injury we knew he had it's very obvious right like he suffered an ankle injury against the heat at the end of the regular season in the 77th game of the season uh and then he re-aggravated the injury in game five against cleveland he didn't play game one against miami while he was resting that injury then he came back um I have some simp- I, I have I, I actually have always respected the fact that he is clearly a durable player and plays through injuries. I mean, if you play enough in the NBA, you're going to get injured. So the fact that he plays as many games as he does clearly shows that he plays through injuries. And you know, I don't really find anything noble about him playing through the injury if that's what he was able to give us off the injury. Now, if, like, to me, you can't have it both ways. It can't both be, oh, well, see, he was injured. That's why he couldn't hustle back on defense. That's why he had to throw his hands up exasperated when he committed a stupid fucking turnover. That was all his fault. That's why he had to, uh, you know, make brain-dead plays offensively. That's why he had to take terrible shots. That's why he had to take a step-back jumper over Bam Adebayo with 18 seconds left on the shot clock. Like, if if... Okay, fine. Let's say I give you all that. Okay, so then he just played terribly? 
Like, if, if that's what he was able to give us off an injury, then maybe he just shouldn't have fucking played. And anybody being like, well, if you would have killed him if he didn't play, when have I ever killed Julius Randle for being injured? or ever, like? And who would do that? The guy has, again, played through so many injuries. He's barely missed game time. Uh, you know, I think last year the only reason he missed the end of the season is because they basically told him to shut it down. Um, the year before, when we went, uh, you know, forty-one and thirty-one, the we hear season, I think he missed one basketball game that year, and that was because, and and then he came back right after that. Um, like his durability earns him, earns him, uh, the the right and and kind of the benefit of the doubt. If he had chosen to set out, I think if he had chosen to sit out for the first two or three games of the Heat series, everybody would have just been like, "Man, he must really be hurt." Because that, that's how I felt going into the Cleveland series. I thought he might miss the first couple games of that too. And I was like, you know, he's really hurt. You know, that is what it is. We saw also the injury he suffered at the end of the regular season against Miami. He couldn't put weight on his ankle. Um, like, no, I, I would never question whether he's, you know, he's not somebody that you can question if he's not playing. Like, well, could he play? We know he plays. We know that he will play if he's able to. But sometimes, if if that is what he was capable of giving us, then he shouldn't have fucking played. And, you know... Like if you're if if the argument is well you know him playing benefited us and we wouldn't have even won two games without him and I'm not sure about all that but let's say that's true like okay so you can't he can't just get credit then for what he did and then when when with like the struggles what well, oh no 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 see no he was injured then that's not how it works like if you're on the floor it is what it is and let's stop pretending he was the only guy that was injured in the series. Jalen Brunson was injured. I didn't see him dogging it. Jimmy Butler was injured. I didn't see him dogging it. Like, this, he was not the only guy dealing with injuries. Mitchell Robinson got hurt in game one of that series against Miami. I don't see anybody talking about that. I haven't seen a soul talk about that. But he was clearly injured after the first game of the series. Shout out Gabe Vincent, who's a dirty piece of shit. Um, he was clearly injured. I don't see anybody talking about that, but I saw a lot of people that were trying to shift blame away from Julius, talk about, oh, well, Mitch, is, he doesn't space the floor. We saw his limitations in this series. We saw, okay, fine. But he but he was injured. So how could we even assess that? Oh, my God. How could we do that? That's crazy. I mean, it's just like, it's the playoffs. You're going to get injured. You're going to get injured. So I, I'm sorry. I don't want to hear about this stuff. Like, I, I respect Julius Randle's durability, his toughness, his willingness to play through injuries. It doesn't change anything for me. It doesn't change a single feeling I have about his play, good or bad. I think, though, what it does is give it context, and it's like, some people were like, oh, you know, doesn't matter. And I'm like, to an extent, I can agree, but also, like, two ankle sprains at the span of a month. That is going to have an effect on play, but at the same time, it should not have an effect on effort. And it should not have an effect on how you are able to make yourself and your team better, and I think that's kind of my takeaway from it. I don't. I'm. I just don't think his play is because he was injured. I'm sorry. Like I, I just don't really buy it. Um, it wasn't just his shooting percentages that were the problem. His decision making was the problem. His processing is a problem. He, I think he had a one to one turnover ratio in the playoffs, which is pretty terrible considering his usage. Just about yes. Like his deci- Like the, these are the things that are a problem, and. I just I'm I'm so over like was he if, if he's on if he's on the floor right he was on the floor last time I checked okay you were on the floor great 
guess what? That's what I judge you on. I'm not really interested in doing this whole, oh, well, this, you know, this circumstance, that circumstance, and this. Give me a break, man. Like, and if we're going to be real, if we want to have a real conversation around Julius Randle, I thought he was melting down at the end of the regular season. Not Maybe not, it wasn't like a total fucking, oh my God, he's, you know, turning into an asshole, like, or he's just completely turning into shit. But this was the game he hurt his ankle in the regular season, okay? This was his line. In 14 minutes and 42 seconds. One of five from the field. Five rebounds. One assist. Two turnovers. One foul. Three points. That was his line in that game. He was awful in that game. The game before that against Houston, he has a good game. 26 points on 19 shots. Four rebounds. Three assists. Houston sucks. Congratulations. The game before that was the game against Orlando. He had 20 point, or he had 23 points on 20 shots. Nine rebounds, four assists. That was the game where he lost his mind on quickly for trying to take him away from the ref. Game before that, at Miami, 15 points, nine assists, six rebounds, seven of 16 from the field, four turnovers. Like, I, I think there were already signs he's only down. He did have that 57-point game that in between that Minnesota game right before Miami. Um, but, like, I, I think if you look at, you know, his play, there was like that, the Miami and Boston games, he was great in those games. If you look at his numbers after that, all right, I mean, this is just his average. 23.5 points on 19.2 shots, seven, seven rebounds. So the rebounding was coming down. Three point and assist to 2.5 turnovers. These are his shooting splits 41.2% from the field, 27.2% from three, 75% from the line. Um, and, and mind you, this includes the 57 point game. So he was already, you were starting to see. A lot of bad stuff from him, from a physical perspective, and again before the ankle injury. Um, but like more than that, you just saw a lot of the same type of mental uh, errors and a lot of stuff that seemed like frustration boiling over, which you weren't even sure where it was coming from. You know, I mean, we can talk about the Orlando one where he flipped out quickly, but the one that was even more crazy to me was that one against the Clippers, where it was like a tight game, end of the third quarter, you're down a point. He elbows, who was it? Did they have a Zeller? Or did they have a Zeller or a Plumlee? It was Plumlee. Yeah. Uh, He elbows a Plumlee in the face, gets a flagrant. You know, they score both free throws. He's flipping out at everybody on the sideline to the point that, like, they had to take him away from the bench, and then Johnny Bryant had to come over and do his, like, I'm the Randall Whisperer thing. And I'm just like, I don't know, man. I'm so over this shit with him. And it's like, yeah, man, okay, like, a couple years ago, oh, he doesn't have a point guard. This Oh, well, you know, his ankle got injured, so we can't. No, that's not how it works. You're never going to have perfect circumstances in the NBA. You're just not like look at the t- look at the teams that are in look at who's in the final right now. Like Denver hasn't had some perfect fucking deal the entire way. Jamal Murray missed like a year and a half. Did anybody you know like like it's very very rare everything is going to work out exactly how you want it to. And you know what? Like this year, Denver's obviously had a good run of health. And guess what? Like most of the time, if you look at these teams over the last few years that have win win a championship, right? A lot of them get it's because they just happen to be the healthiest. Yeah, team. they get the luck of the draw. Other than that, like you have to deal with shit. And even Miami, right? Like you know, 
where we want to say it's not like Miami. Miami had what the fourth most games missed to injury this year, and like I actually think they've benefited from Tyler Hero being out. But that's still like me making an assumption. Like he was a starter, he's missed basically the entire playoffs. So it's not like they are you know getting the you know amazing health here. Jimmy Butler obviously. He got hurt in round two. He missed a game. I don't see any Knicks fans saying like, oh, well, you know, Butler missed a game. So No, like, we're like, oh, yeah, great. We fucking want four and two. Like, it was a competitive series. He missed a game. Gabe Vincent missed a game against Boston. You think anybody would have fucking held that up as an excuse they blew game seven? No. Nobody would have said anything, right? Like, this is what it is. You deal with injuries and you move on. Is anybody giving Boston a pass because Malcolm Brogdon hurt his arm jerking off? No, nobody cares. You know, like nobody, also, nobody's you, also, but it's also fuck Malcolm Brogdon. Yeah, so. well, yeah. I mean, Brogdon shouldn't be jerking off in the first place. You know, that's a crime. Um, but like <laughs> Mormonism. <laughs> yes. Uh, no, but it like it's just I, I'm. You're never going to get everything perfect. Not you're never. It's never going to happen. And if if we can't just it's if you want want to keep Randall and you still believe in Randall and all these things, that's fine. I disagree with you. That's fine. It's a reasonable opinion to have, I guess. But like, it's you still should be able to just look at his performance in the playoffs and be like, yeah, look, he played bad. And yeah, I understand the ankle was hurt, but he played bad. He played bad. His effort wasn't there where it needed to be. Just say that. Don't don't give me don't don't try to like oh it's a fucking no it's not it's it's not an excuse. All it is is a fact of life. Congratulations. You were hurt. So was everybody. Nobody cares. Move the fuck on. Um, and we knew he was hurt. So I really don't understand why any of this is some like, oh my God, Revelation. I can't believe it. Yeah, like it just. It's. I mean, like, there's context and there's also like things you need to value, but it's also like there's a baseline of effort and competency you should expect from an NBA player in the playoffs, and that was not met, even with the injury. So it's like, if that's if that's your excuse and that's your way to kind of like justify the entire run, you can't do that. Because it just does not compute. Yeah. Alright, let's move on. I don't want to talk about Julius Randle's bullshit anymore. Um, let's talk a little bit about uh, you know, this upcoming uh, NBA draft that is happening. Uh, the Knicks don't have a pick right now. Yet. Yet. Uh, they do have avenues. Are they, there's, they have many opportunities probably to move into the, into the first round or second round, whatever they want to do, you know, given the assets they have at their disposal. Uh, what do you think, like, I mean, if you were the Knicks, like, what are you looking for in this draft? And, Based on that, where do you think that they would need to move into to to you know get the type of player or the the broad archetype of player that you want? I mean, ideally, you're looking for someone like six six to six nine who can kind of play anywhere from the two to the four, and would be able to potentially give you minutes down the road. I don't think whoever they draft this year will be in the rotation because you have Deuce. You already have the nine that are coming back. Like the team is bringing back their entire rotation from last year. Maybe another shooter. Um, so, like, if you're drafting somebody, you're drafting them to be kind of like a project for a year, maybe two, and then maybe year three, year four, you're looking for like return on investment. Um, but I think you kind of just need shooting. You need somebody who can 
legitimately space the floor and be a threat from the outside. Um, for all the benefits the Knicks offense had in the regular season, in the playoffs it became you could leave a lot of these guys open and the Knicks did not have enough shooting to punish them. And we saw it because I think their run in the playoffs was one of the worst shooting runs of any team in NBA history. Um, so that needs to be fixed. I think ideally you're looking for somebody who could play that 3-4 spot eventually down the line. So who can like sub in and give them that shooting that they need because big shooting is really important in today's NBA. Um, I think they're kind of looking at that late first round, so like the 25 to the 30 range. They did interview uh, Gigi Jackson, right? If I'm not mistaken. Yes, and they should not. I mean, they're doing it for due diligence, but Gigi Jackson fucking sucks. So I don't want Gigi Jackson for this team. Uh, I will probably talk about that on Pod Strickland. But he, are fucking... but, but he is on. He is in that range, though. That we're talking. He's about. he's in that range. Um, you really gotta believe in your development staff, and you have to put him like he is not touching the big club year one. If you are drafting Gigi Jackson, if you're drafting Gigi Jackson, you're putting him in Westchester for two years and telling him, okay, we want you to work on as much fundamentals as he possibly can. Because by the time you come out, you'll be twenty. He's only eighteen. Twenty-one. He, yeah, he's gonna be eighteen on draft night, mm. and he'll start the season at eighteen. So, yeah, I think he probably might be the youngest player in the NBA when he starts. So, if you're drafting him, you're basically saying tools are there, but he just needs to be molded. And I think my one pushback on that would be like it's kind of the Cam Reddish Redux, where it's like, oh, a really talented guy with intangibles and wingspan, who just was dog shit. And it's like, granted, uh, South Carolina not the best situation for spacing, and he had to do way too much within that offense. But like, I'm not too big on drafting for tools, and he go he goes against their entire draft philosophy because he's really bad at BPM. He's not an older prospect. He's very raw, and it kind of feels like it would be such a left turn from what they want in the draft that like I can't see that actually happening. But they're probably doing due diligence, which I commend them for doing, because they should be doing due diligence. That's what Walt Perrin has done his entire career, and I don't want them to stop anytime soon. If I were the Knicks, I mean, I'm looking into Derek Whitehead. I think that's probably my number one right now. Because he's young, but he has a projectable skill, which is shooting. He shot 43%. I also think he can play the three. Like I know he's yes, listed he as a two, but I'm pretty sure he can play the three. He's a three. Yeah. I think he's a three. Like A, I think the injuries kind of took away a bit of his mobility. Um, he's had a decent amount of ankle injuries, so I think, and he's like he's not, he's not scrawny. Like he's two, he's two twenty, six six two twenty. So like, he's a three, and I think he fits really well with what the team wants. Um, his box plus minus isn't sexy, but like given the fact that he was dealing with injury, like forty three percent from the field, eighty percent from the um free throw line, like project, you could project a lot of things with him, especially if he gets back to those athleticism games. It's kind of like the AJ Griffin bet from last year. And I know they were interested in AJ Griffin. So it's kind of like, okay, you have that level of shooter here. Um, I don't think he'll be as efficient as AJ Griffin because AJ Griffin was legitimately like 58 true shooting, damn near 50, 40, 90 as a fucking rookie, which whew, and somehow he doesn't get played. But like, yeah, so I think Derek Whitehead would probably be an option. Uh, Kolobali is going lotto for whatever reason because the fucking Raptors have a, an issue. Um, 
I think Pods might go top 20. So I'm just kind of looking at shooting. So like Julian Schrother, my Puerto Rican son, um, Press's Puerto Rican son, <laughs> the Strickland's Puerto Rican son. Um, but yeah, I think I'm kind of just looking at big shooting, like 6'6 six, six to 6'9 six, um, wings who can kind of fill that role that the team needs. Yeah. Um, I, I think a wing would be good. I also think a 4-5 somebody like that is also a major need on this team. Um, it's obvious that Tibbs is never going to trust Obi to play with Randall. And, you know, yes, they have options. They could play hard at the floor or whatever, but you're losing um, a lot of secondary shot blocking potential there, um, regardless of which wing you want to nominate as the four in those type of small ball scenarios. Not saying that those shouldn't be options, but um, there are situations where they're just not going to work. And if the Knicks want to try to, and I, there's a difference between play small and spread the floor, play five out. Uh, the Knicks don't have a five out scenario right now because Tibbs doesn't trust. It's basically because he doesn't trust Obi. Um, and because of that, he'll always play with Mitch or Hartenstein on the floor at the five. I think, a guy I would be very interested in in the mocks I've looked at. He's, you know, trending around the late first, but he, I think he might go earlier. Uh, I, I'm pretty interested in Noah Clowney. I don't think he's somebody who'd factor in in the next two years necessarily, uh, but he's he's going to be 18 on draft night also. I like his measurables. I think his overall skill set is intriguing, it's, if not fully. It's Moby Lyle. Yeah, it's Mo, he, he is very... If you watch his defensive clips in like very specifically, there are a lot of like Mobley type flashes. And offensively, I know Alabama used him almost exclusively as a stretch four or stretch four five, whatever you want to put it. Uh, the shot is rough. I think he shot 28.6% from three this year. The shot, the shot didn't go in, but the shot isn't broken. And I know, you know, look, the three-point percentage wasn't great. I think even his free throw percentage was around 64 65%. So there's definitely work to be done, but that shot isn't broken. And a guy that I think he reminds me of in terms of, uh, you know, a dude in the draft a couple years ago that I thought was intriguing for the Knicks for similar reasons is Usman Garuba. The difference being, I think he's one, he's a much better, he's in much better physical condition than Garuba. And two, the shot doesn't need anywhere near the technical refinement that Garuba's always was going to. And Garuba's obviously, I mean, I don't know, the Houston, whole Houston thing is its own big clusterfuck. Um, but I still think that's a massive need for this team. As, like, if they are committed to sticking with Julius, at least for this next season, they need to get somebody who is an option to play five out. Somebody that Tibbs is going to trust. And I understand Clowney, like, it's funny, like, I don't think Clowney would address that need right now. I still think they would actually need to use their MLE to go get somebody like a, you know, like a Trey Lyles, somebody we've talked about, or I've talked about at least previously, but somebody of that ilk, like Nas Reed would be another one. Um, but like, they need somebody who can check the box of Tibbs would broadly trust them to provide some rim protection and play the five next to Julius, but can also credibly stretch the floor. So there's not a lot of those guys. Uh, and I think a guy like Noah Clowney, the fact that I see him, you know, being mocked in twenties, I think is personally fucking insane. 
uh, not because he doesn't need refinement, but because those are the type of players that like, like I understand he needs time to work through shit, but if you give him time, I think in like two or three years, you could look back at a kid like that and what he provides just adds so many dimensions to your team. Like I'm, I don't know. I, I, again, I'm admittedly like working very far from behind in this draft, but I, I think it's fucking crazy that he's being knocked that late. Yeah, um, I think mocking him that late is kind of a result of the environment of the league. Like, I agree with your assessment that he's probably going to take two, maybe three years to actually like really pop. And a lot of GMs just don't have two or three years to project a guy like that, especially when you're drafting higher in the lottery and you're like, well, if this pick doesn't hit, I might lose my job. So I think for the Knicks, because the rotation is so set in stone, you know how many of those guys are coming back. You know that even if you want to expand it to 10, you have a guy like Deuce who's in front. You have the MLE that you can use to go out and get a guy. So there's so many players to factor in that like getting a guy who might need maybe a year or two of development who projects really well and profiles really well would be a really good um, use of resources. Especially in this draft, because next draft is not good. So I'd be okay with getting Clowney. Um, like he fits what the ideally they need. Like really solid rebounder, has shown the ability to um, has shown some passing chops really good at getting those steals and deflections that like this team really doesn't have like we are not a good stocks generating team like we stick out a bunch of positions we stick out a bunch of positional defenders out there like and it works but it also doesn't like give us opportunities to go in transition and despite the fact that he didn't shoot as um, well as he could have like his bpm was still 8.3 so like he was a really good college player and and, and, like and to that point i was talking about this with the press but like his BPM is almost weighted down because, and I, I don't, look, I, I'm, again, just getting around to really doing any draft stuff, but, um, like, from what Prez has told me and from what little I've seen, he's probably not some, like, great shot creator inside the arc, but because of how much they used him specifically as, like, a pick-and-pop guy and are just a pure floor spacer, his BPM is almost, like, weighted down because he clearly, like, while he can become that player he's not that player now and they force him another role like it's it not it's this is not a clean comparison but in some ways it's similar to being like hey obi just be a floor spacer and it's like okay well yeah maybe his efficiency isn't going to be where it is because you're asking him to do stuff that is not maybe his forte but i think in clowny um you know the bpm like you mentioned it's still it's still good i think his scoring efficiency could probably be higher if he was used a little bit differently um but, I mean, I think it's fine. For his development, I think that's probably it's a key thing for him to develop. So I'm not actually... I think it's fine that Alabama was asking him to do that. Yeah, I think when he gets to the league, he's going to be asked to play that role a lot. Because to keep him on the court, and he's not going to get a lot of shots, he's going to need to be able to be comfortable taking threes. Um, so having him be comfortable taking those threes, having him in a situation where it's like you're launching or you're driving, getting him in that kind of style is a good is good for his development. And I do think that it'd be he probably would be he would be asked to do that in Westchester as well. So yeah, I, I kind of feel like he fits what the Knicks would want. He fits the kind of shot chart the Knicks would want, especially from their back of four. Because in general it's a lot of we want you to take threes and we want you to drive. And he also draws a decent amount of free throws as well. So 
yeah, I agree with what you're saying. I Clowny is somebody who I think the Knicks would probably look at really highly. And he would he would buck the trend a little bit because he's younger, but there's a lot of just a young dudes in this draft, so.